This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning into Americana Music Profiles. The next episode starts right now. You are tuned in to another edition of Americana Music Profiles, brought to you by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine and AmericanaMusicMagazine.com. I'm your host, Greg Tutwiler. Let's jump right in to the next exciting interview. Madrid, Spain is home for the band Track Dogs, a band comprised of two Irishmen, one Englishman, and one American. The band got together in 2011 to create their own unique brand of acoustic Americana music, centered around four voices and their instruments, coming together to create dynamic fusion of styles including folk, Latin, Americana, and bluegrass. Robbie Jones, the band member from Ohio, joins me on this edition of Americana Music Profiles to talk about this unique combination of Americana music entertainment. Hi, Robbie. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, well, thanks for having me, Greg. Glad to get a chance to speak with you all the way into Madrid, Spain, although uh, it it doesn't sound like you're a Spanish native. That's right. Um, I'm in a little village called Cercedilla, which starts with a C, up in the mountains of Madrid, like Uh a... Um, like in, like uh, Bob Dylan says in Boots of Spanish Leather. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, but um, I'm originally from Vermilion, Ohio, up on Lake Erie, about 45-minute drive west of Cleveland. Okay. And what what led you to Spain originally? Well, my big uh, my biggest uh, sort of influential teacher was probably my Spanish teacher, and I was also studying music, and I got interested in the Peruvian cajon, and then... Uh, the flamenco cajon, the box drum. Yeah. So I came over here and was studying at a flamenco school and um, never intended to stay, but just uh, I, I originally told my mom, I don't know if it'll be six weeks or six months, but then it turned into six years and 16 years, and <laughs> soon it'll be like next February I will have passed half my life here. Which will wow. Be 23 years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you get to travel back and forth some? Do you get to come back to the States? Um, much less than I would like to because of the fact of going to Cleveland, it just makes it that much more expensive. If it was, say, a Chicago or New York flight, it would be about about only 60% of the price. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I am going back to Vermilion for about six weeks this summer. Okay. Because it's, yeah, I figure, when am I, hopefully, won't have such a slow touring summer yeah. Anytime again soon. So right, I'll take right. advantage of that. So did you become a full-time musician when you got to Spain? Did you do other things while you're there? What what did your life and career musically look like um early on once you got there? 
Well, when I first got here, I used to take a djembe down into the subway and play in the in the stations. Really? For, for change, yeah. <laughs> wow. And I got my first job at a dance class from that. The teacher came by and hired me. And um, and uh, then I met an Irish fella here who lives in the same village I do now, uh, oddly enough. And um, started playing less and less flamenco and more and more Irish stuff. And then Spanish, other Spanish folk music and... One thing led to led to another, and uh, I just, uh, yeah, it just uh, it, it it was the path from the very beginning. But there were there were a lot of years of teaching English as a foreign language, mm. and uh, and even editing books for Cambridge University Press and McGraw Hill. And wow, cool. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's neat. Interesting journey. So, oh yeah. Uh, so you are now uh, with a group of guys. You guys call yourself the track dogs track dogs um yep uh, but you've been together a while how did that come about for you guys well it kind of all happened through an irish pub as these things do yeah <laughs> <laughs> one guy was the dave our bass player was the bartender um that same that same buddy of mine uh, that i mentioned that i've known since then uh used to go to jam sessions we played irish music and uh that's how i met the bass player and then the other two guys worked at an English academy just across the street, and they used to come in there. That was their their sort of watering hole. And so that's how they met Dave. And um, so, you know, as as like any good bass player, he was kind of the glue that brought us, brought us all together as well as keeps us together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's an interesting um perspective on bass players uh very <laughs> true but i i hadn't heard that verbalized before that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> well i i would say he's he's kind of the the steel girder of uh -huh. the band uh -huh. that's cool uh, you know and uh it you know it's it's funny because none of us in the band is spanish and i think that helped with the original chemistry of coming together we're we're all um expats uh, okay the lead singer guitarist also plays a bit of ukulele and piano sometimes um, and the bass player who does the mandolin as well um, they're both Irish and um, from Dublin and Bray okay and and the trumpet player uh, is from Sheffield England Wow and uh, myself from Cleveland Ohio oh, Vermilion Ohio did you guys have a uh, was it uh, an instant thing? Did you come together with a vision of what you wanted to create, or was it a little more organic than that? Um, half and half. Um, we came together to do a specific concert. Gareth Wall, our, our lead singer and the most prolific composer of the four of us, um, he had previously released albums as his own artist, a, a solo artist, mm -hmm. and usually had a kind of pop band lineup with keyboard and electric guitars and drums and the whole nine yards. And um, he was asked to do a sort of acoustic lineup, and he got us in on that. And um, then he got called a second time. They said, uh, the same venue said, 
hey, you know, we like that. Why don't you do that concert again? So we got together again. Hmm. And it, the, but the very first time that we all were in a room at one time and actually met each other was at our first rehearsal. Really? Wow. And, um, and I remember that day, Garrett saying, you know, this is no longer a singer-songwriter with musicians. This, is, this feels like a band. Hmm. And so from the very first rehearsal, we knew we had something. And it, and it, it was over the series of, uh, of the first couple of albums, really, that we kind of honed in on, on a sound. And because uh, at first the idea was to sort of create a framework, an acoustic framework for Garrett's voice and, uh, and his songs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then uh, each of us started singing a bit more. The trumpet player is quite a singer. And, he, and then so he was singing a lot of the harmonies. And then, then one day we did, uh, we were asked to do a cover in a, in a show. And we did The Wait, the band The Wait. Mm-hmm. And so, and we each took a chorus. We each took a verse. Oh, nice! And sang the you know the big harmonies. And then Garrett went, "That's it. All four of us can sing." And yeah. from there on, that the four four part harmonies became a very central thing to what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I, and I, then, I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say. Then I started taking up the banjo. Um, kind of in a way to get back to my own roots and also to make music a hobby again. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I started infusing bluegrassy and country kind of influences. And uh, so that that kind of boosted the role of harmonies again. Mm-hmm. And uh, that turned into, we would do some four-part harmony songs at the end of a show as an encore out in front of the mic, totally uh, uh, unamplified. And then that expanded even more. We started using uh, uh, a single condenser mic for for a part of the show, like maybe three or four songs. Oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, doing that. So even though we don't really play bluegrass per se, some of the songs, definitely you can tell they're, they're from that influence, especially the ones that I write. <laughs> and um, and so that, that, that has become... A central part of what we do in live shows. How how many albums do you guys have together as a band? I think this is. I'm not sure if this is the eighth or ninth album. Okay, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we've recorded over a hundred songs together. I think they're like eighty-five, ninety songs easily on Spotify or iTunes. Yeah. What is a uh, prior to the uh, pandemic? What does it look like for you guys to be out and on tour? Is that a full-time thing when you're doing that? Well, it's it's a it's a curious question because it's a very relevant question because um, the, the band hasn't been our full-time work, but it's been our main project for each of us for quite a long time, mm-hmm. and um, supplemented by other stuff that we do. And so, you know, we, we would do maybe 30 dates in the summer, maybe 50 to 80 a year or, you know, maybe closer to 50. I, I wouldn't, but we weren't doing, you know, I know some bands are out there doing 100 to 200 gigs a year. We've, we've never been that fast, but we've always done 
I mean, our longest tour ever was just before the pandemic. Really? And we, we released our, we just got it in under the wire, um, releasing our last album, mm-hmm. um, uh, Fire on the Rail. And that was the second half of February. Wow. So, I mean, we, we just got that yeah. time. And that was, that was like, that was a two week tour. And uh, for us, 10 days, two weeks is, has been a long tour. Now we've got some stuff on the card that was supposed to happen in 2020 and 2021 is now pushed back to 2022. Okay. And, um, there may be some 38 tours and, and that might start to open up a bit. Um, especially as we've been making inroads to the UK over the last mm-hmm. three or four years. Mm-hmm. We're going to pause for just a moment. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the interview. What does it look like in Spain, Europe to tour, being from the States, maybe having kind of a recollection of kind of how a band would normally tour here? We've got festivals all over the place, you know, summer, spring, fall. There's just, it's crazy for a band that hits the road like that. It, how is it mm. How is it similar or is it in, in Spain and Europe for a band like, because you guys have a, a similar sound to an Americana uh, fringe grass band so mm-hmm. I, I would imagine in the states uh, under normal circumstances you would be extremely busy in the spring summer and fall how, how does that translate into a european experience well uh, certainly in the uk there is a circuit of festivals like that and a very similar thing now generally they're more broadly referred to as folk festivals you mm-hmm. know and mm-hmm. uh there are some specific Americana-based festivals. Um, but the great thing about folk festivals in the UK is that they have a very tolerant definition of folk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because uh, for a lot of people, we might be a little too poppy for folk purists, mm-hmm. or we might be a little too acoustic for... We're too acoustic for uh, pop groups pop festivals and and indie rock right, festivals right, and stuff yeah. like that so i mean in in spain we are kind of always fell between the cracks because there isn't this and here folk is considered to be you know bagpipes and tambourine mm-hmm. and uh, and other forms of, fan- of spanish folk but um in there in so really uk has what's taken us to the next level as far as being able to tour and uh, kind of fill out a, a, a summer. And uh, Spain has loads of festivals, but, but indie rock is the name of the game here. Mm, okay. uh, still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, like I say, uh, Ireland very similar, you know, very similar situation. And kind of the folk genre is, in Ireland, I think, is more occupied by Irish trad, Irish traditional music. Okay. And which is not what we do. You know, some things, some things have an influence, but that's not really, wouldn't be a really good way to uh, define us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, um, Whereas a folk festival in the UK might have an Irish trad group uh, playing, mm-hmm. as well as somebody who's doing Bob Dylan type stuff, okay. or 
you know, or singer-songwriter stuff and uh, uh, maybe a ukulele band. And uh, then there's also going to be um, uh, folk dancing and there's also going to be groups that are based on bagpipes and stuff like that oh, as wow. well. Yeah, so, sure. So that really... I mean, there's a BBC presenter, uh, retired, called Jeff Sargison, who said, he said, well, the, to me, folk music is something that's available to every, that's accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. And he said, to me, that's what makes you, Crack Dog, a folk band, because it's accessible. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um so we kind of slot in sideways in a lot of festivals. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys would fit well in in the U.S. as, as well. There's all kinds of uh, definitions and umbrellas that I I could I could feel the music that you guys create fit under. Um, yeah, and you've got it's one of my biggest frustrations is that we've never properly toured the U.S. Yeah, the visa process is hugely difficult yeah. and expensive. Yeah, uh, and that's apart from buying flights. And, uh, okay. so that, that has been, you know, we're, we've kind of seen, well, stuff has been going well and growing well in the UK. We're going to keep fostering that until, you know, it, we can see that, okay, we've got, we've built up enough momentum and following to make the jump. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I, I hope that works out for you for sure. We've, um, we have been a couple times to the U.S. We've been to South by Southwest sure. back in 2013. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay. And um, that was an amazing experience. But I, 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 I'm not saying, I, I'm not saying though, that I would necessarily recommend it to, <laughs> to a band trying to establish themselves, except for the experience. And yeah, it's get, it's it's a uh, it's a wonderful event. But it's an event that you have to navigate very specifically if you have certain goals. Yeah. Um, to me, it has become a, a giant festival where the musicians pay to perform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, then, funnily enough, though, we went to, uh, in 2016 or 17, 16, it was, we went to Folk Alliance International sure. in, in Kansas City. Yeah. And... Apparently, it was that was started by a fellow that had also started South by Southwest, mm-hmm. wanting to get back to the original virtues right, right, right. of his idea. Yeah, and that's a whole different thing. It's about three thousand people, you know, two thousand seven hundred trying to meet the other three hundred. Right. Yeah, but um, those are much better odds than South by Southwest. Oh yeah, no, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I mean, you're talking about two thousand bands. Yeah. Stuff by Southwest, yeah. let oh, alone yeah. people. Sure, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm glad you were aware of uh, of Folk Alliance because I would have recommended that to you. I think uh, it's it's a great experience for bands, uh, especially outside the U.S., trying to yeah. establish connections and uh, especially I can't when you recommend it highly enough. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And 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 certainly in the case with you guys in your new record, uh, we we want to make sure we we bring that into the conversation. Um, hmm. uh, that style of music and folk alliance is just a perfect fit. Uh, I was listening to some of the tracks before we jumped online, and uh, the new uh, single, um, "River of Gold," uh, it's fasc- yes. fascinating song. I, I loved the. Uh, before I even read the description, um, 
I enjoy old westerns, uh, John Wayne, mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood kind of style, and I just I felt like I could visualize a scene from from a, you know one of those movies before I read that that was kind of somebody else's observation of that as well. Um, oh, bingo! It, it, Mission accomplished. Yeah, <laughs> we are definitely suckers for that sort of thing. In fact, um, one of my first songs for Crack Dog is called Dust Devil, and the video for that, which is on YouTube, is is basically a spaghetti western. Ah, okay. I'll have to go find that. Cool. With horses and uh, and saloon and the whole nine yards. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, that that feel definitely uh, emulated through that song. Um, is that um, indicative of kind of the? the style of the rest of that project? Is that what you guys were after? Or is this just one particular uh, song on that album that feels that way? Well, um, it's certainly a recurring theme. I wouldn't say that the whole album sounds like that. Um, some stuff sounds maybe a little more poppy, and then other stuff um, will be a little bit more folky sounding as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually... Uh, you caught me today working on a demo to send to a guest artist um, who's going to. Uh, we I've, I've got a song that I wrote for uh, an exposition in the Thyssen Museum here in Madrid, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was about a figure from the old west called Lola Montez, and she was just this amazing figure who was a showgirl. And had her own saloon and her own show and dancers. And uh, but before that, she had this whole prior life. In she was Irish born, and uh, she was she was in London. She was in Paris. She was in India. She and uh, she in Paris. She became a lover to the composer Franz Liszt. Um, and then in Bavaria, she became the lover to uh, King Ludwig the Number something or other. And uh, who was the last king, and ended up. She was a large part of the of why he ended up abdicating, and there was a revolution. <laughs> wow! And um, and she ended up from there. She went over and uh, did the show in opened a theater or saloon out in uh, California during the gold rush. Mm-hmm. And when that dried up, she went to Australia. Then she went back to New York and became. Uh, when she was not dancing anymore, she became a uh, 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 like a, a speaker evangelizing about uh, women's rights and wow. that sort of thing. Yeah, and she died by the time she was thirty-nine. Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so uh, she was born in the County Sligo, and we found there's this uh, singer who I've always been a fan of, and has become a friend. And she has given the okay, although she hasn't heard the demo yet. <laughs> she has uh, said that she is interested. And the singer is called Kathy Jordan. From uh, Her most known band is called uh, Dervish. Hmm. Which, and she's been named as uh, the voice of Ireland. Oh, and okay. Her own uh, more personal project called The Unwanted explores links between old American West music and Irish music. And um, and she was born. She lives. Uh, sorry, she lives out in Sligo, where Lola Montez was born. Oh wow! And so she's just like she's the perfect. Yeah. And she's just got 
her version of Boots of Spanish Leather Leather is my favorite version of that song. Huh. That's and cool. you, you can find that on YouTube as well. Yeah. Uh, Dervish, uh, Boots of Spanish okay. Leather. Wow. That's a cool story. So uh, I was uh, working on a demo of that to, uh, and it's a, the chorus is kind of never gonna forget Donna Lola. Never gonna forget Donna Lola. If you don't know Lola Montez, that just means that I ain't done yet. Never <laughs> gonna forget Donna Lola. Huh, that's cool. So, yeah. Uh, and we tell her story. So that's, you know, that could go in various ways. It could sound very folky. We might make uh, a little bit piano-y and, uh, you know, kind of honky-tonk sounding in the choruses. This is what I'm, this is all the process I'm thinking of today, what's been occurring to me today. So <laughs> you won't get any fresher news than that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Now, that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, uh, one of the questions I always like to ask is kind of uh, kind of a window into the songwriting process. So that's that, that was very, very fresh. That was perfect. Exactly exactly what I would have wanted had I asked it. That so that, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here with my banjo. Yeah. <laughs> Etc. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very cool. Um, so the 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 new record uh, is uh, where to now. I think you told me not exactly out yet. You guys are releasing singles, which is of course the uh, River of Gold that we were talking about a minute ago is one of those. Yep. Um, yep. Wh- when when will the album be accessible? Um, obviously, the songs. Some of the songs are on YouTube. How can folks find you guys? Uh, engage. Uh, with you personally, mm-hmm. some of the music, what's the best way to get in touch for people? Well, uh, if you, uh, the website is track dog music altogether, uh, track dog music.com. And, um, and then we're on Spotify and YouTube, um, on, and Facebook under track dogs and even Instagram. And, um, yeah, it, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a simple Google search and hopefully we're findable enough. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but cool. um yeah, yeah. and uh, i yeah very very happy to have folks look us up <laughs> awesome yeah for sure no I, well the music's great and i i certainly wish you guys uh, well with it i i hope you get to bring it over here to the states uh for the folks over here to engage with you guys and especially this new music certainly wish you the best uh there in spain and europe uh, for getting back out and and taking it there too Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, we're. I've I've been saying since the beginning of this to say, well, you know, pendulum swings from one way to the other, and whether it's uh, sooner or later, we're bound to have some roaring twenties, roaring twenty twenties. Yeah. And uh, and you know, this time though, we you know make sure you save your money because we know what came after the roaring twenties last time. Right, right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Robbie. It's been good talking to you, and I certainly wish you guys the best with your music. Thank you so much, Greg, for, for being in touch and for the support. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Find us on iTunes at Americana Music Profiles and on the Internet at AmericanaRhythm.com. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? 
problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.